This is The Straight Dope, episode 19. Inputs and outputs, medium spice. Before we get into that, I'm going to give you guys a couple updates from prior episodes. One was a challenge for you to deploy all your gear on the clock, and I'm curious how those standards are being established by you guys. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen and Essentially, the challenge was how long from fully stowed in your bag holding the rifle can you deploy all your gear and get a position built or get your binoculars such that you'd be able to start finding glass and repeat that in multiple positions so that you're familiar with the the mechanics of building those positions from stowed equipment. I've done a number of those, and I've noticed that even over the month, that I posted, I've made some small tweaks and changes to how I stow my equipment, so I would say that there's some added value to that. Another thing that's happened recently is that the number of listeners has really been exploding, which is pretty remarkable. I wouldn't have imagined that it would have grown so fast in the first month of its existence. So I want to thank you guys for sharing and helping spread the word towards people that could use this because it is a niche application group of listeners which is focused on people who actually want to improve and find ways to add training ideas to their systems and and that is a smaller subset of the general uh, firearm user and or competitor that are out there so uh, thank you. It's been going crazy. The number of emails that I get has exploded such that it's kind of difficult to even get through them all in a day. And, and recently I haven't been. So I apologize if I haven't gotten back to you uh, very quickly. I'm trying to go through those. And some of the ideas that I get, I'm trying to find ways to talk about. So just got to put them uh, on the back burner for a little bit while I get through that list. Uh, one of the people that reached out, which is kind of cool, is Ryan Kleckner. I'm going to be on his uh, go, ballist, going ballistic podcast next week and talk to him about this project and the rifle craft project. So if you're a fan of his, um, you might see me there pretty soon. I also saw that Ray over at the X-Ring channel released kind of a first look at a DMR rifle that he and I helped Cobalt Kinetics put together. And now that that's on the market, you're going to start hearing and seeing more about that project. It's not really podcast material since you have to see it, but uh, if you go over to his X-Ring, the X-Ring channel on YouTube, you could start to see some of the things that have been coming out of that. I've posted a few groups and uh, tests that I've done on Instagram and Facebook, but for the most part, haven't done a lot of broadcasting since I didn't know when it was going to be available, but it, it's a pretty cool system if you like to shoot 223 you know, in that sub thousand yard range, it's a it's a pretty cool thing. So look over there and and wait. To, he, he and I might get together and talk about that pretty soon on his channel. Other conversations that have come up and continue to happen with people who I look up to and respect their opinions tend to circulate around the issues that come up on this podcast a lot, which are building a fundamental base and testing those to make sure that you're at a level of proficiency. That the higher level stuff that people like to talk about and argue are actually discernible at. And so um, this episode is going to focus back on some tests and things that you can do to help continue to build that base and diagnose it. But so many people have reached out and wanted to talk about 
what influences shooters' abilities before some of the sexy things happen. And I really, truly think that rifle craft is a great standard. It's not the only thing. They pointed out you could shoot paper um, with just a little dot on it, absolutely. But what rifle craft allows you to do on the website is is quantify that and continually track it over time. And some people don't need to quantify it, and some people do. Some people would like to, and some people don't. And that's why it's a free service. So I, I think that that um, being able to keep a record of your shooting targets over time is helpful. But that's my personal opinion, and people that are using it are providing feedback that they're achieving results. And I always get messages and pictures and thank yous from folks with their first trophy or their hundredth trophy saying that this helped uh, in one way or another refine their process. So I, I, I definitely know it works, but you have to put in some some effort and and maintain the mindset that a lot of the gains that you can still make are in fundamental areas. And the better those fundamental areas get, the bigger of a buffer zone you get for the higher end skills. And also, the easier it is for you to focus in on those and know that those higher end skills are actually the things that you're working. So uh, I would say, if you haven't yet, go over to riflecraft.com, register, and start logging your targets. And like I've been mentioning, if you really want to support this podcast, subscribe over there. And for the cost of a few drinks a month, you can help this project in its attempt to try to improve your shooting for your goals and not just be something that other people are saying, you know, do this um, and not have tangible proof that it works. This provides uh, quantifiable, tangible evidence but you have to prove to yourself that that's helping you. So anyway, uh, let's get into inputs and outputs, medium spice level. In the first one, I talked about the equal and opposite reactions of pressure on the rifle. right? And to refresh some of your memory, most of the time, a rifle, a pistol, carbine, is capable of a certain amount of accuracy without a shooter. And... Plenty of folks are constantly validating with pictures that you can shoot a pistol accurately with almost zero fundamentals if you have a sight picture and you pull that trigger straight to the rear because you're not providing any additional inputs to the system. That first shot goes where it was aimed. And that's the same case with a carbine and a rifle. The problem is follow-up shots become very complicated if you don't have good fundamental control over that rifle system. And most of the time we're talking about the ability to have follow-up shots or manage the recoil in a way where we're able to actually spot our impacts and misses. When we do that, we grab the rifle or we put it on something and those contact points have pressure and mass and those influence how the rifle behaves under recoil. And often it can throw a shot. And a lot of users at the beginner level of the craft system have numbers that are, you know, what I would call bigger than 4.5 to 5. Those are essentially, you know, beginner level shooters that need to learn proper basic fundamentals. And there are shortcuts to get away with skirting those fundamentals, but it, it's a good idea to have your craft number come down below 4 before you start really diving into other things and that 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 often takes instruction you know i do think that that a good instructor could take a person who's never held a gun 
and shoot a craft number of probably below a three. But, um, you know, I don't have any evidence to that. But, but most of the time, it's not unusual to have new shooters go out and shoot really good groups. Uh, and then you can take them from there and start doing some positional stuff. So the inputs and the outputs matter. But how do you measure that? Because it's, it's complicated. Well, it's expensive for you to go and take, you know, hundreds of rounds to the range and test a variety of inputs and log them on paper. And you can do that, and I do that. But a, a baseline fundamental thing that you could do, and I was trying to think of what's the cheapest thing that you could do to try to show you firsthand that all sorts of things can possibly play in to the rifle's ability to shoot accurately and, 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 and be able to do that repeatedly over a number of shots. And I came up with another exercise that I think would be pretty cool for you to do to validate how you get onto the rifle because consistency is king. And especially with a precision rifle where such micro movements of the rifle cause points of impact shifts that are measurable at distance, figuring out how to narrow the uncertainty before you shoot down to an acceptable level is is could be fun and it's a hell of a lot cheaper so what i what i think would be cool is if you got one of those little laser pointers and figured out a way to um to uh to to tape it so that it was always on or or get a laser pointer that was always on and just tape it to the front of the rifle don't i don't spend a ton of money on these things they're they should be like cents right or very few dollars to get and it doesn't have to be exactly aimed where your rifle is because you're not shooting. This is going to be done dry fire. If it if you're aimed perfectly straight and the laser is off from that, it doesn't matter. You're going to be marking the deviation of that laser point on a piece of paper. And if you can, you want to get that as far as you can. But what what I want you to do is, you know, put put your rifle in a position. If it's on a tripod or or a bag or a, or or something that you might be shooting off of, you can. You can put that rifle so that it rests perfectly stable and that laser dot does not move on a paper target or a, a mark on the wall or something like that. Now, when you get on that rifle as if you were going to shoot it, dry fire, mark that point on the wall where the laser pointer was. And it would be, it would be cool if you just taped a craft target and you put your phone down so that it was videotaping the laser and not necessarily you. And now without moving the rifle, get on it and dry fire. My guess is when you mount that rifle, the laser is going to shift off of that point of aim. And some people would probably say, okay, that demonstrates that there is a a point of aim shift, um, a natural point of aim shift of the rifle. And, 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 and the way I think about it and, it, and technically it could be off a little bit, but I think about that as inducing torque into the system somehow. So if you build and break a position, but instead of actually building it, you build it without you, and that laser pointer is on your target, and then you mount that rifle, if you're not going to induce any additional strain or torque into the system, you're going to be able to do that with that laser point not deviating from your point of aim very much, right? The, the least amount of deviation, the better, because if you mount it and it deviates to the right, left, up, or down, and then you have to pull the rifle or move the rifle with your body such that it points back towards the center, the rifle was resting in a different position, and you've essentially just, you've, you've torqued the position, 
And that torque induces stresses that under recoil is going to cause the bag to settle and the, the forces that are acting on the rifle to be different than it would have with the rifle pointed center. So my argument would be that a really good shooter can put their rifle in, in a position on a bag and they can get behind it and connect to it such that there is a minimal amount of disturbance to that reticle once they're connected to it so that they don't have to pull it back towards center. Of course, it's going to move around when you're getting on it because you're going to touch it a little bit. But when you get on it, you're not going to have to pull that laser back towards center. So I would challenge for those of you that are able to do that, put the rifle on something and get on it and note the end point of the laser and how much you had to pull it back to center. And if you did have to pull it back to center, what would you have to do to disconnect and reconnect to that system such that those torques weren't there anymore? And I've heard some shooters say, okay, well, you get your position, you move it, you, you change your point of aim, and then you detach from the rifle, and then you reattach so that that doesn't happen. But a lot of people aren't doing that. And I want you to think about how you build those consistent positions such that when you connect with your rifle, that laser pointer doesn't have to. And that's just reps, right? And once you do those reps so that the deviation and you're consistently changing positions, putting the rifle in the position, and then connecting to the rifle, there's minimal deviation of that. Now, what I mean by minimal is that, that you know, it's not coming off the diamond, right? You're not going from, you know, a zero craft to like past the eight, right? Which for a lot of people, my guess is at first, it's going to do that at something like 25 yards. I think that, um, but the closer you are, obviously, the less deviation there's going to be no matter how bad it is. But try to project that out to distance, you want to have minimal deviation from your point of aim. And at first, for free, you could practice those repetitions of consistently mounting the rifle in a way such that you don't disturb that natural point of aim. And that could be done with a cheap, cheap laser. I don't like the idea of you spending hundreds of dollars for a weapon-mounted laser to do something like this, which because that's stupid. You're just going to you're going to get the same benefits from a 25 cent laser that you tape onto the end of your barrel. And you can measure that because once you're consistent at mounting the rifle, now you can expect to consistently do that at the range. And that doesn't mean that your craft number is going to mysteri- you know, magically go from a five to a one, but I bet there would be some consistency and some reduction in your shooting size after you put in enough reps that over the course of multiple days, you could consistently mount the rifle in any position and not disturb that laser point. Now, I know I've been making a short story long, but I want to emphasize that if we start at the ground level and we build those practices so that we're consistent and we can repeat them, then the influences on the rifle are going to be consistent and they're going to be repetitive and you'll see a reduction in your shooting groups, the more consistent you are. Now, it might still have shifts left and right because of how it's responding to recoil, but before the recoil even happens, you want to be consistent so that you're not inducing torques and elements that will cause a bigger effect to compound over the recoil management part of it. I do think that you have to live fire to deal with the effects of recoil management and your particular style of shooting. Some people hold the bag or the side of the rifle. Some people put their support hand on the scope. Some people put the rifle out in their shoulder. Some people put it on their clavicle. And the response to recoil in all of those situations is going to be different. But if you can become consistent in your style and technique, then you could expect to hit the targets that you want to hit. So 
kind of on you to put in the reps or not, but that's something that I think would be pretty cool. And I'm going to try to do that just to see uh, what I can see over the next month. So that's an input and output challenge that I think is going to be extremely valuable to some shooters that are willing to put in the work and see if there is an effect at all. And those of you that don't and might just be waiting to hear feedback. Now, other ways to mask some of that and some of the reason that the pure fundamentals kind of start losing some of their relevance in some of the styles of shooting is that you can add weight to cover up some flaws. So if, if, if your rifle is heavy, which there's nothing wrong with that, you know, trigger, trigger pull might not be as important to you as something else in terms of bringing your initial group size down. Uh, because the mass of your rifle is going to affect the types of fundamentals that are important to hitting the target, right? The heavier the rifle, the more you can get away with in terms of um, classical fundamentals. And, and a good example is just the 90-degree trigger press. A lot of very good shooters are just flicking their fingers at the trigger and doing things that, that are um, what would be viewed as very poor fundamentals, but they can outshoot people that classically have a great trigger press. And, and some of that has to do with the rifle weight. So the argument is, you know, who's a better shooter? Well, I think, you know, the yardsticks are different for those styles of shooter, and you need to keep the yardstick consistent with your particular outlet. It, there's no point with, for an NRA silhouette shooter to have an argument with a PRS shooter. That, that They're just two different disciplines, and they both require a different view on the fundamentals. But you need to be honest with your application of how you're going to reduce and target that low-hanging fruit. And at some point down the road, a PRS shooter might be interested in a perfect 90-degree trigger press, but it's probably not the first thing they need to think about. And same thing with their breath cycle. And, and I guess like the, the proof of that is like if you put a 2x4 on the table and a pencil next to that and you tap each one with your finger a little bit, the pencil's going to move more than the 2x4. And so you're not going to be deviating the, the shot group by very much with a poor um, trigger press on a heavy rifle or on that 2x4, but a light rifle that you're shooting offhand, every tiny shift in your body is going to have an impact on how that rifle wobbles. And so addressing those is uh, almost an entirely different application. Riflecraft should be able to measure your progress in whatever your discipline is, but you need to be able to be, you, you need to use the right measuring tool and, and argue the right things that are going to improve for that particular outlet that you have. A very light rifle is just as accurate as a heavy rifle, but the forces that act on it are going to have different influences on it. So if you're only looking to take one shot at an animal, you want to make sure that that first round build and break is going to be very, very good. Now, you can build and break a very good first round with a heavy rifle on all sorts of bags, but I think that the influence of that system after recoil on the settling of the material of the bags makes the likelihood of a follow-up shot being as precise as the first lower. So if you are experimenting with bags or rifle weight, and building and breaking positions, it's not only the first shot, but it's the second shot that you want to compare between. Because if you have a great first shot build and break, you're doing it under a different set of conditions than after a rifle has settled the position and dealt with some of the easier to move aspects of your body in the bag and the position itself. And there might be a point of aim difference. Some shooters 
their first round is out of a group and then you can and then they shoot like a string of shots after that and they're all very tight and I think one of the explanations for that is that when they built that position the bag wasn't settled the rifle wasn't settled but after that first shot everything settled and they were able to print a really nice group but that first round was out of that really nice group and Really, in most elements of shooting, it's that first round that gets scored or is valued or prized more than the follow-up shot groups. And so uh, practicing that and trying to diagnose the elements that play into that, a heavier rifle on all sorts of different fill bags is probably worth experimenting with two-shot point-of-impact drills to see how far apart they are and, and, and try to diagnose what's causing those two shots to deviate from one another and and then also try to figure out what you know which which one of those is closer to your intended point of aim and and then reverse engineer how to replicate that over time so the inputs and outputs are things that are quantifiable they are measurable you have a profound influence on them but you need to be asking yourself what's your intended outcome at your intended style of shooting and then start to find ways to measure it dry fire, to build a consistent pattern, and then uh, work towards live fire to the two-shot drills or even a three-shot drill, I think, that I'm going to advocate for with some carbine and pistol uh, challenges that will be coming to the site relatively soon. There's a difference in how we diagnose first, second, and third shot based on the position and the style of shooting that I think are really important. And so uh, go out and log those laser deviations as build and breaks. Think about how you're building your positions to optimize and make them more efficient. And think about the inputs and the outputs that you need to optimize the results that you're looking for. Until next time. Uh, Keep sharing, liking, subscribing, and trying to grow the community of listeners. Uh, Everyone has done a great job, but I think we could double it next month, which would be even cooler. And I want to hit the um, 20,000 mark rather than the 10,000 mark. And that's going to take everybody who's listening's participation in trying to share this to people who would actually benefit from it, right? Because... We're not um, putting pictures of, you know, tattoos and beards. We're trying to develop skill. So, till then, get out there, practice, and log some cards. <laughs>